little-known way the U.S. government boosts exports. This is Industry Focus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. I'm happy to welcome John Maxfield back to the show. I'm Christine Hargis. John, how's it going out there in Portland? Are they still fluorinating your water? (laughs) They aren't fluorinating our water, and that's the problem. Uh, And you know what? Here's the thing, uh, Christine, since you did ask the question. It's going great out here in Portland, with one exception. It is not raining at all right now, which means that um, everybody's grass is a little bit brown, except for particularly cheap kids like me. I know, isn't that horrible? I, it is summertime, but it, it's it's super dry right now. <laughs> well, it is also hot as anything here in D.C., so I can totally understand the grass frying up a little bit. Well, so we received last week an email from Joe Traver, a listener in New York, asking about the Export-Import Bank. Uh, for a bit of background, the purpose of this bank is to provide loans and credit guarantees to foreign buyers of U.S. goods in a move to boost exports. John, how exactly does this work? So the way this works, if you think about it on a, on a larger scale, um, if you go back to the Great Depression and the New Deal, for Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal, uh, a big part of that was transitioning the government from a completely active or passive player in the U.S. economy or a largely passive player in the U.S. economy to playing a more active role. And one of the things that the New Deal did to, to facilitate that transition was it created a bunch of different um, governmental agencies that guarantee loans um, that are designed to further specific goals. So, for example, you have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, right? Um, So Fannie Mae in particular, this whole idea came from the New Deal, and that was to help the U.S. housing market. You have the Small Business Administration that do the same thing with small business. Well, the Export-Import Bank does that same exact thing, but it does it to help the U.S. export um, businesses that are in the, in the U.S. into U.S. exports. Um, so it guarantees loans to actually not the businesses that are exporting the goods, but to the customers abroad who are buying the goods. And so, is this just everybody that's looking to buy a good, or like how do they pick and choose? Like, oh, hey, you're worthy of this loan. How does that work? Well, I don't know every single step in the analysis, but uh, on a general basis, the way it works is, you know, you have to, it has to be an export-related good, um, and you, the buyer who is seeking the financing from the Export-Import Bank um, cannot have been able to get the financing through a traditional lender. So the Export-Import Bank steps in as kind of um, a lender of last resort, if you will, um, when it comes to exports. So this is Basically, when companies that want to buy our goods can't get funding from private lenders. That's exactly right. Interesting. So then do they make the loans themselves, or, or are they just kind of there to say, hey, like, we got your back if you want to go back to the private markets? So the, the way it works is that um, the U.S. government, the, so the Export-Import Bank, it, it just it facilitates specific transactions. Let me give you... We talked about this a little bit before the show, but let me give you a specific example of how this works, although in kind of a a reverse capacity. Um, So basically all the major economies in the world have a version of the U.S. Export-Import Bank that they use to boost their, their own exports. And if you go back to the 1960s, Japan's 
I, don't, I can't remember, I think it was like the Japanese Development Bank or something along those lines, but the, they're, they're equivalent of the Export-Import Bank, provided Phil Knight, who is the founder of Nike, um, with a loan in order to help him bring in shoes manufactured in Japan in order to compete against the higher price qual- uh, shoes from Germany, namely Adidas and Puma, that then had a lock on the market in the United States. And so it was that loan from the equivalent of the Jack- Jack- Japanese Export-Import Bank that allowed Nike to, 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 to be born and, and then to turn into what it is today. So all the major countries are doing this? It's my understanding that every major country uh, does one of these things. Now, this it's become a, an issue in the United States just recently because, and again, we were talking about this earlier too, but most people don't have any idea either. They've never heard of the Export-Import Bank, and even if they have heard of it, they don't have a really good grasp on precisely what it does. But it's become a big issue recently because even though it's had bipartisan support, Reagan was a big supporter, Clinton was a big supporter, obviously FDR was a big supporter, uh, George Bush's father was a great, uh, George W. Bush's father, George H. W. Bush was a big supporter. So even though it's had all this bipartisan support uh, all along, since the financial crisis, there's been a groundswell of um, concern around the United States stepping in and bailing out certain types of of companies, right? Mainly your AIGs, your Lehman Brothers. No, not your Lehman Brothers. They probably should have done that. But um, your AIGs, um, your Bear Stearns, um, your Citigroups, your Bank of Americas. There have been people who are concerned that the government stepping in and doing that is impeding the the free market. And the Export Import Bank is uh, turn, has turned into a rallying cry for that movement because at the end of this month, it has to be rechartered by the U.S. Senate, and if it's not rechartered by the U.S. Senate, then um, outside some ex- uh, emergency issue, uh, measures, it, it'll basically go out of existence. Huh. So do you think this free market argument has any political traction in this case, or is this bank going to continue to be around? That's a very good question. It, it, it remains to be seen. Um, you know, right now, it looks like so there's a big there's dissension in the Republican ranks between kind of your the you know kind of your the moderate conservatives and and the more um, extreme free free market based conservatives. There's a split between them because you have like your Lindsey Graham who's a Republican um, and he actually was a big supporter of the Export Import Bank, right? So it doesn't it's not strictly a Democrat Republican issue. It's also a Republic is within the Republican group. But if the Republicans can't garner the support for it. Um, it looks to me like it it will it's going to struggle to to make it to you know to get that that reach that charter re-upped. Interesting. So then, what's the argument that could save it? What exactly is this bank doing that is worthy of of having it stick around if if it's going to stay? Well, I mean, the whole argument boils down to, I mean, if you if you take a million mile up view, it boils down to economic growth, right? So if you break your GDP down, you have consumer expenditures, which take up something like seventy percent of of our GDP. You then have business investment. You have government expenditures. But then on top of that, you have kind of a veneer of uh, the difference between your exports and your imports. And we've always, or at least over the past few decades, we've been a net um, importer of goods. So we import more than we export. Um, and so the the rationale, for, and that decreases our GDP as opposed to increases it. And so the rationale for this bank is that by facilitating exports, you're facilitating economic growth um, in the short term, but then the, the, the contrary opinion is that 
well, look, you may be taking these short-term measures to facilitate economic growth, but over the long run, the government's involvement in the private sector and in business in particular is a very is a bad thing for an economy, and therefore, you know, we shouldn't just for a short-term gain um, sacrifice a long-term loss. Right. And especially along those lines, I start to think about, well, who's actually going to back these loans if they were to default? It's going to come down to taxpayer dollars. That's exactly right. So uh, under the current situation, it comes down to tax, the taxpayer dollars. Now, we haven't heard a lot of concerns that the Export-Import banking Bank is losing, say, billions and billions and billions of taxpayer dollars every year. In fact, we haven't heard anything like that uh, of the sort. It, it really boils down to more of a theoretical argument about how people perceive the government's relationship um, vis-a-vis the U.S. economy. It's really interesting. How big of a deal is this bank to the export market in terms of like a relative basis? So on a relative basis, let me give you a statistic. In 2013, the uh, Export-Import Bank um, facilitated, let's see here, uh, 19, so it, it facilitated $37.4 billion worth of U.S. exports. Okay, so that seems like a lot, $37 billion. But when you consider that American companies shipped or provided $2.28 trillion worth of goods and services abroad in 2013, the Export-Import Bank uh, accounts for only 1.6% of the total amount. Now, you know, so that's a relatively marginal amount. But what's important to keep in mind is that, to your point, um, if because most of these um, borrowers, though they're not actually borrowers, they're just asking for credit guarantees in the most, for the most part, because most of these people cannot get that financing through a traditional bank, um, most of you know, the, the export-import um, banking business, export business that is supported by the Exim Bank will probably go away, um, absent some other thing that comes in and, and, and fills its role. But we're still only talking about 1% or so? Yeah, percent and a half. But a percent and a half, I mean, you know, you're in, in specific, it, it may not seem like a lot on the national level, but if you're in, you know, say, you know, if you're a politician in a, in a territory that where Boeing has a large manufacturing facility and Boeing gets a lot of credit from the Exim, uh, the Exim Bank in order to ship these goods to countries that, to, you know, customers in countries that can otherwise get the financing to buy these planes, it would have a huge impact on a local level, just on a national level, it doesn't seem to be to be that big of a deal. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that, yeah, 1.6% of exports may not seem like a lot. However, when you consider that, we're fighting for every 1%, 2% in economic growth nowadays since the financial crisis. Every little bit certainly does matter. Yeah, all of a sudden it does become a much bigger deal. John, thanks so much for being here. Joe, thank you for writing in and giving us something to dig into and talk about today. Folks listening, if you have anything on your mind that you want to see us do a show on, don't hesitate to send us an email. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com, and we would love to hear from you guys. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.